Jesus, we thank you for today, and we just welcome you here as we get into the scriptures and your teaching and your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here and pray that you would teach us, so that you would speak to us, and that you would highlight things to us, and that you would grow and empower us to change. And I ask for each one of us this morning that our ears would be open and our eyes would be open to hear what you're saying and see what your word says, what, what you want us to respond what you want us to do, what you want from us this morning, Lord. So open our hearts to hear all of that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored Uptown. And we're into week 14 of our series, Working Through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And today we are breaking into Matthew chapter 6. So for the whole series so far, we've been in Matthew chapter 5, Today we're starting in Matthew 6 and seeing what the scriptures have to say. And as I was preparing, I felt to start this morning with a bit of a confession. There was something that just kind of stood out to me while I was going through this morning, and I think it's just so relevant for what Jesus says in this passage. And it was a few weeks ago, I was preaching the next morning, it was a Saturday evening, Shell and I were at home, and I think she was wanting to watch a show that she likes. And there's something you need to know about me. I make up my mind pretty quickly. I can be pretty black and white. Got one year from the crowd. Everyone else is like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> so Shell and I will start a new show, which has got rave reviews. And within three minutes, I'm like, I'm in or I'm out, you know? If I'm on my phone in three minutes, Shell's like, oh my gosh, like I've lost another one. I can't watch this one. So we started a show. We talked about it. I, we're not sure what it was. I think it was Only Murders in the Building. Any fans of that? Whoa, I am not a fan of that show at all. <laughs> We got into it. I think we watched two episodes, and I just said, Shell, I just can't do it. So she finished it in her own time. But this was one of those nights. She wanted to keep watching the show, and I thought, okay, you watch it. I'll do something else. And we were working through our mini-series in the About That Life series around sexuality, and we had about three or four boxes in our living room filled with books that we were giving away the next day, kind of books to equip the church around this topic. And this was one of them. It's called, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? by Sam Albury. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to watch this show, so I might as well read this book. I, I've finished my sermon for tomorrow. I'm ready. I'm prepared. But this book ties in. I really enjoy Sam Albury. It's a pretty simple read, about 130, maybe 140 pages. I think if Shell watches two or three episodes of this, I can crush this book. So I read through it, watched a little bit of the show with her, sat next to her on the couch, and I got through the book. I think after that, I just thought, you know what, there's one or two things from this book I just want to add into the sermon, might be helpful tomorrow, do a little bit of an edit, read through it, and then went to bed. And then something funny happened the next morning when I got here. We were putting out books on the stage, I think there were about four of them, and I found myself chatting to different people who said, oh, what's going on, what are these books, what are you doing? And I was explaining, oh, we're giving these out, you know, these are gifts to the church, this is to equip, to disciple, to help us to think through these topics really helpful. And people saying, oh, what should I take? And I found myself saying in three or four different conversations, this is a great book. Actually, I read the whole thing last night. I couldn't put it down. And the emphasis wasn't on I couldn't put it down. The emphasis was on I read the whole thing last night. And even while I was doing it, I knew there's something funny about this. Like, this is a little bit fishy. And it's fine. It's factual. It's true. I did read the whole book the night before. But the reason that I was saying that was funny. Now, if I had read War and Peace the night before, any Leo Tolstoy fans? 
It's like an 800 to 1,000 page book. If I had read that the night before, I would boast about that. Like, I would be amazed that I had crushed that book the night before. But reading this isn't really a big boast. Like, it's not that long of a book. It's less than two hours to read it. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But still, I found myself wanting to say that, wanting people to know what I'd done. And if I'm honest with you, I think even on the Saturday night when I was reading the book, I was like, I think this is going to come out tomorrow. Like, <laughs> I, th I think I'm going to tell some people that I read. I think part of my motivation in reading this whole book is to tell people that I've read the whole book, which is fine. But I think I've realized this week while I was preparing going through Matthew 6, some of the reasons behind that. And I think that's why the Holy Spirit brought this to mind as I was preparing the sermon. And I was kind of mining the reasons behind why I wanted to say that really innocuous, unimportant thing in those conversations. And I think these are five reasons I came up with. I want people to think I'm a hard worker. So if I say, hey, I read this whole book the night before, you know, preparing for my sermon, people are like, whoa, that crank guy, he works hard. Secondly, I think I want people to think I'm smart. So if I'm bragging about reading a book, and you know, it's just something I do casually, read a book most nights of the week, it's not a big thing, which is not true. People might think that I'm smart. Or thirdly, I think I really want people to think I'm knowledgeable and wise and spiritual. I think part of that was me thinking, if I say this, some people are going to think that. And I think the main reasons boil down to, I want people to think I'm impressive, and I want people to applaud me. I want people to be impressed by me, and I want people to congratulate me and be like, wow, you're amazing. Grant you the best. Some of you listening to this this morning are like, okay, they let this guy preach. <laughs> Interesting choice. Okay, let's see where he goes with this. Some of you are sitting there, and you're a little bit more astute, and you're going, hang on, he just did it again to the whole congregation. He just told all of us that he read a book in that night. He bragged to all of us, and he tried to slip that by. Real pastoral inception situation going on there. And I want to kind of make fun of that today just to say, like, there are layers to our motives, and there are layers to the reasons that we do things. Some of them that we know, some of them that we don't, some of them that we might be able to understand as we reflect on it a little bit more. But there is a whole lot going on behind what we do. And as we get into Matthew 6 today, I think that's one of the things we're going to see I think from my confession, from my story, what is true is that sometimes reading a book isn't just reading a book, and sometimes a simple comment isn't just a simple comment. So let's get into Matthew 6 today. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Otherwise, you can open up and follow along. One of the things we're going to see in this passage today is something that we've seen in the series again and again and again. It's that Jesus is defining life and spirituality in ways that were so different from the culture of his day and that is so different from our culture today, too. So as we get into this, you're going to find there's two big questions underlying this passage today. These are questions of motivation. These are questions of our heart. These are questions of why we do what we do, and who or what are we living for? So can you keep those in mind as we go through this? Why do we do what we do, and who or what am I living for? So let's read Matthew 6 verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you. Verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. We're going to jump down. We're going to skip the Lord's Prayer section. We will get into that in a few weeks' time. But Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And as we read that passage, it seems that Jesus says, when you give to the poor, when you pray. You know, he's not getting into the practical pieces that we love in sermons, the, the things we can apply and live out as we get into the week. Jesus just touches on those things. He mentions them. He expects that they're things that we do, but he doesn't show us how to do them. Jesus, in his teaching here, is actually assuming you know, the, the culture of his day, the, the audience that he had were people that had grown up in a certain cultural fabric where this was just a part of what we did. Their parents did this. Their grandparents had done this. Their great-grandparents were praying, fasting, giving people. So they had examples of this. They'd been shaped by this. This is who they grew up to be. So Jesus didn't have to explain the how. They knew the how. But Jesus goes behind the scenes and gets to the heart. He goes under the surface to deal with the motivational forces behind what they're doing and what they're not doing. Why do we do what we do? And who or what are we living for? And the big idea of this passage is Matthew 6 verse 1, where Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. To be seen by them. And something that stood out to me while I was getting into this this week is those first two words, be careful, be careful. It's not something you expect in this kind of situation. You know, you say be careful when you're worried about someone, when there's a situation or a person that you want to warn someone about. So maybe casually, gently, carefully, you might say to someone, hey, be careful today, okay? Hey, be, be careful around them. Or if it's a more life-threatening situation, there's danger involved, you're on a hike and you see someone kind of taking a camera and backing up towards the cliff. You're like, hey, be careful, look out, because you don't want them to fall and hurt themselves. We say be careful when someone's in danger or we're worried for them. And Jesus starts with the words be careful, but it's in a surprising place. Jesus, a spiritual teacher, talking about spiritual disciplines is saying, hey, be careful when you practice these things. That's not the kind of message you expect to be hearing in church kind of the opposite. Hey, do these things. But Jesus is saying, be careful when you pray. Be careful when you give. Be careful when you fast. And I think this can sound a little bit contradictory in light of some of the things we've been preaching through over the last while. If you've been with us for a while now, we spent months as a church working through part of Matthew 5 on being salt and light. If you remember the big idea there, Matthew 5 verse 16, Jesus says, 
let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, which can seem a little bit uh, confusing in light of today's message. In both passages, Jesus is speaking to us about doing things, doing good things, and doing them in front of people. But in one place, he's saying, hey, be careful. And in another, he's saying, you really should do this. It's a little bit confusing. But they don't contradict. No. Jesus is actually pointing out two different sins here, but two sins that have exactly the same root. The first in the Matthew 5, salt and light passage, Jesus is actually challenging our cowardice. Jesus is challenging us from those times when we're wanting to live out our faith, but we back down and we don't. We don't speak out. We don't act out. We, we don't live out what it means to follow Jesus and be his people in a situation where there's an inconsistency between what we believe and what we do when we pull back. And he's challenging that. He's challenging the root behind that where we're worried what people will think. We're worried that people won't approve. We're worried that people won't like it. So instead of saying something, instead of doing something, we back down and pull out and we are not salt and light. So in Matthew 5, Jesus is challenging our cowardice. In Matthew 6, he's challenging pride and vanity in our hearts. These situations where we do act in a certain way, we do say certain things, we do do certain things because we want people to think of us in a certain way. In Matthew 5, we're not doing things because of people's approval. In Matthew 6, we are doing things because we want people's approval. Just like me, I'm not moving in the space now because I want your approval. I want you guys to hear me and hear what's going on. In both of these instances, Jesus is cutting to the heart. In both of these instances, he's speaking to us about the audience, the the context we're in, and how we're performing, how we're acting, how we're living inside that situation. And in both instances, really what Jesus is doing is he's calling us to live for the audience of one. He's calling us to live in a way that's not influenced or affected by what's going on around us, but which is influenced and affected by God. We're living for him, not for everyone else. Eugene Peterson translates Matthew 6 verse 1 in the message translation like this. I think it's perfect for what's going on in today's message. He says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Isn't that strong? I'm going to read that again. If you want to amen or anything, if you come from that kind of church background, you're welcome. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. There we I got one. Thank goodness. And then I moved. It's a real nightmare today. There's this breakdown in each of these things, the praying, the giving, the fasting sections, where Jesus is talking about three different things. He speaks about the action. He speaks about what we do. He speaks about the audience, the the people around us, the people watching, or at an even deeper level, the people that we're performing for, the the one we are living for. And then at a third and even deeper level, he speaks about the reward, the reason why we do what we do or what we're hoping to get out of the behaviors we choose. And when Jesus speaks about the action, the giving, fasting, praying that we might put in place in our lives, he warns us against being hypocrites. He warns us against being hypocrites. And that's an interesting word. 
The Greek word that uh, is behind that word, hypocrites, referred to a play actor who performed on the stage at a Greek or Roman theater. These were actors, actors who literally performed on a stage for an audience and who had all sorts of different masks that they would put in front of their faces to play these different roles, to perform, to, to act in, as different characters. And kind of the, the big idea of this word is pretending. You're pretending to be someone that you're not. You're pretending to be a character. You're playing a certain role. And many of these ancient play actors, these hypocrites, they would be performing on these stages to get famous, to get applause, to be liked, to be cheered, to become celebrities in their day. And Jesus is comparing the spiritual actions of people, religious leaders, to the performance of these actors. And he compares our lives and the way we live and the things we choose to this acting too. These hypocrites were spiritual play actors, living their lives as a show for people, not for God, looking for horizontal applause, not the applause that came from heaven. They wore different masks around different people. They were chameleons, different characters in different situations and circumstances, playing a role for popularity, approval, applause, acceptance. They sought that from man rather than God. And Jesus says, actually, they got the thing that they were after. They got the reward that they wanted. And here Jesus is critiquing something which I don't think we think about a lot in church circles. Jesus is challenging spiritual leaders of the day, and he's challenging them about doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason. They're doing great things. They're giving to the poor. They're praying. They're fasting. They are obeying the scriptures. They're ticking the boxes, but their heart is far from God in what they are doing. They look really good. They, these are disciplined people. They look very impressive. You know, praying in public, they, they are killing it. They're doing such a good job. All of these things, they, they are doing the role so, so well. People are even intimidated by it. But where God looks at it, he's just not impressed. He's not fooled by this kind of play acting. And he sees that actually what we do when we act like this is we are using God and using spirituality to get what we want. Authenticity has been a buzzword for sure for the last few years. Sure, you've heard a ton about that both in church and outside. And there's something being exposed in this passage about the way we live our lives and authenticity. Jay and Danielle Pathak define authenticity this way. They say, authenticity is the way that you are yourself in all sorts of different areas of your life. It's being the same person. So whether you're watching a World Cup final, or whether you're at a Sunday church gathering, or whether you're at work, or at like an event in your neighborhood, or at a bar or restaurant in the place you live, wherever you are, whoever you're around, you are the same. There's consistency. There's just a flow between who you are in all of those spaces. That is true authenticity. And they go on to talk about these three different selves. See if you can relate to this. The public, the private, and the secret self. The public self is who you would be here in a, in a group of people. Maybe at work, maybe at a sports game where, where there's a whole bunch of people around. That is your public self. Then the private self is where we shrink it down. This is you in a very small group of people who you know and love. A closer family, friends, that kind of circle. And then when we shrink it down again to the secret self, that is us with ourselves, with God, 
and maybe, maybe one or two really trusted people that we invite into the most secret parts of our life. And the question they ask in this is, how consistent are you between those three spaces? All of us are going to have inconsistencies. None of us are the same. But how consistent are you as you flow between public and private and secret? How consistent are you between God and yourself and others? This has been something that humanity has wrestled with since the beginning of time. In the Garden of Eden, the beginning of time, the first couple, Adam and Eve, right at the beginning, wrestled with this issue. We see this idea of putting on a mask, of covering up, of pretending, being birthed in the Garden of Eden with the first two people before anyone else came around. And it's wild to think about that because Adam and Eve were in a perfect world. The garden was the dream. It was paradise. It was the way things should be. And they were with God, had a perfect relationship with God and with one another. Nothing was broken. Nothing was evil. Nothing was sinful. Everything was the way it was supposed to be. But there was one thing God had asked them not to do. And as the story goes, they did it. And this couple who had been described as naked and unashamed, they didn't wear clothes. They didn't wear masks. They didn't pretend. They were completely exposed in the public, private, and secret spaces. They were the same. They were consistent across them all. As they disobeyed God and did their own thing, what happened is instantly they went and they covered up. They saw, whoa, okay, I don't want people to see this about me. I don't don't want to see this about me. I don't want God to see this about me. So they went and made clothes to cover up. And they hid from God. They hid from God. So God comes looking for them and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And it's not a geographical question. It's a cardiographical question. He's not asking where they are in that space. He's saying, I know exactly where you are hiding, but where are you? What's going on in your hearts? Why are you covering up? Why are you hiding from me? I know everything. And I think that's a question for some of us this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding from God? Why are you covering up? Why are you not being real about where you're at and who you're at? God is inviting us to himself. But so often we naturally, from the beginning, cover up and hide. And where God finds them, the third thing they do is they're not even honest with themselves. God says, what's going on here? And they said, it wasn't me. <laughs> Point fingers at each other. They, they can't own what they've done. They can't be real with themselves. They can't be real with each other. They can't be real with God. They're covering up. They're hiding. They're pointing fingers. There's a lack of consistency and authenticity. They're, they're covering up their saving face. So they put on a mask and they hide And they pretend that it's not them and that they're doing okay. And similarly, since that moment in the Garden of Eden, mankind have been doing the same things. Masking up, hiding, and pretending. And this morning as we read through Matthew 6, there's this really unsettling question that Jesus asks. Or that he's getting to under the surface. And it's that, is there a consistency between these three areas? Are you the same in public and in private and in secret? Are you the same? Danielle Pathak ends with this really amazing exercise. And I want you to picture this for a second. You're at an amazing event, and the event is for you. You are the guest of honor, whether it's a birthday party or a wedding, a graduation party. You are the center of the celebration, and everyone who is there knows you and is there for you. 
So think, if that was you, your next big birthday, the next decade one, I'm staring down the barrel of 40 in a few years. It's a big thing, getting ready for it. Everyone is there for you. Your family, your, your closest friends, friends from high school or college, friends from work, friends from Restored, all of these different pockets of your life, all of these people that know you are there. And they're interacting. They're having a drink and they're mingling and they're making small talk. Any small talk fans in the room today? Very low number. Jackie loves a bit of small talk. Eric, not a fan. Thumbs down. Got one small talk in the room. The rest of us are just pulling teeth, you know? But you know what happens in those events when you mix people who don't know each other very well? But either we go to the weather question or we go to what do we have in common? And if it's a birthday celebration for me, it's like, where do you know Grant from? Tell me, how did you meet Grant? Like, how did your paths cross? Well, what's your story? What's your connection? And if you think about that event and you think about all those people there, they are talking about you. They're sharing stories about you. Does that freak you out or is that fine for you? Does the thought of that kind of engagement make you nervous or are you okay with that? And then if you play the scenario even more, who would you not want to chat? <laughs> who would you not want to bump into each other around the cocktail aisle and like get into a conversation? Maybe an ex and one of your parents or your boss and your old boss or whoever it might be. Who are the people you would not want interacting at that party for you? Let's reveal some of the inconsistency issues in our lives. Osgenes, in his book, The Call, speaks about living before the audience of one, this idea of living for God and God alone that came from the Puritans. And he speaks about a few people in that book who were obsessed with the applause of people. I love this story. I hope you do too. The famous actress and singer, she, she died in 1992, so you might not have heard of her, but Marlene Dietrich, she used to, at her concerts, record the applause at the end of her singing, and she would burn it into, I guess, a, a record, and then she would play it in her home, do a double-sided record of applause from different parts of the world, and would invite her friends around. So they have documented evidence of Julie Gar uh, Judy Garland and Noel Coward, two celebrities of the day, being invited to her house, and she's like, I'm going to put something on for you guys, and playing a double-sided record of people applauding her for her work. And she pointed out, that's from Chicago. Oh, that applause. That's from Cologne in Germany. They really loved me there. That was from Rio and just going through it again and again and again. So moved was she by that. Just, that just was so significant. And of course, with the internet and the rise of social media, the audience we can live for or perform for has just grown exponentially. It could be millions or even billions of people. In a recent study I read about, they found that more than half of Gen Z and millennials, those aged between 13 and 38, said they'd become an influencer if they could. Any one of the influencers in the room? And then I read a few articles about one influencer named Nicholas Perry. Well, online, he's known as Nicocado Avocado. <laughs> Very interesting character. I'm not recommending that you go on his YouTube page at all. In 2016, when Nicholas was 24 years old, he wanted to be big online. So he started his first channel, and on it, he used to perform violin and talk about his passion for veganism. He got very few hits on his channel. <laughs> A year later, he abandoned veganism, citing health concerns, and now free to eat whatever he wanted, he began to upload 
mukbang videos of himself consuming different dishes while talking to the camera, just like you were having a meal with a friend. Mukbang is a term that comes from Korean, muk and bang, meaning, a, what is it? It's a broadcast and food. So that's what he was doing there. And these new videos quickly found a huge audience. People liked what he was putting down. So they were watching these videos, and in the comment section, what they were doing is asking him to eat different things, and more extreme things, and more things. So pretty soon, Perry found himself eating entire menus from takeaway places. Absolutely everything they had, he put it down on the table and eat it all while he spoke to them over the camera. Today, he's got over 6 million subscribers on his different channels, and people love what he is doing. But he's changed completely. Because of his audience's desires, what they want from him to get a bigger and bigger and bigger audience, what's happened is this very quiet and mild-mannered and health-conscious Nicholas Perry has become Nicocado, this loud, abrasive, and cartoonish character. Where Perry was a picky eater, Nicocado is a professional binge eater. That's what he does for a living. It's how he makes his money. And this kind of life and job and living has significantly impacted him physically and mentally, with fans really worried about his health, worried about his rapid weight gain, worried about the manic episodes that he has online. In 2019, Perry told Men's Health that he suffers from erectile dysfunction and a loss of libido as a result of his binge eating. In 2021, he told his viewers that he is now classed as disabled, and he rides a mobility scooter, and is sometimes seen in the videos with a CPAP mask on just to help him with his breathing. In September 2021, he shared that he had fractured his ribs as part of this kind of growth process, and that he has had months of excessive, forceful coughing because of his health. He admitted that his diet has negatively affected his mental health and led to manic episodes, and he's planning to quit in the next few years because he knows this is so significantly impacting his life that he doesn't think he will survive if he goes too much longer. This character, Nicocado Avocado, which sounds so playful, is literally killing the real Nicholas Perry. And this kind of story, although really extreme, is also relatable to us. Because Perry is doing what so many of us are doing, whether it's online or just in our interactions or up front while placing books before a church gathering. We're looking for acceptance. We're looking for approval. We're looking for value. We're looking for community. We're looking to build an identity and find satisfaction. We're looking for different ways to do that, different audiences to do that, but we're all looking for the same things. Whether it's in front of a camera or whether it's in front of a crowd, we're looking for the same things. And what Jesus is asking us in this passage today is why do we do what we do? And who or what are we living for? And we'll end with this passage from John 12. In John 12, verse 42 to 43, God allows us to see below the surface. Andy shared this with me this week. I thought it was so insightful. Often as we read through the Bibles and see Jesus' interactions, we only see it at face value. We don't see what's going on in the hearts of people. But here, this is one of the times in Scripture we see what is going on inside the hearts and motives of this group of people. And the passage says this, Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers, the leaders of that day. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. They loved human praise more than praise from God. We see this group of people that believe in Jesus 
but they won't go public with their faith. This group of people that believe in Jesus, but they wouldn't follow him publicly because they don't know what that would mean for their lives. They don't know how people would respond. They don't know how people would act towards them. They believed in Jesus, but they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. They didn't want to lose that social circle. They didn't want to lose being able to go to that place. This is a group of people that thought what these people think matters more than this choice. And Jesus moves here from the action to the audience to the reward, where he says a line which I think would challenge any of us who are serious about our faith and following him. He says, they loved human praise more than praise from God. And this morning in this passage, it's like Jesus is saying, choose. Choose your audience. Choose your reward. Choose what you're going to live for. Choose where you're going to seek belonging and choose where you're going to seek acceptance and approval. Choose where you're going to build your identity and choose ultimately what you believe satisfies. And as we've said throughout the series, where you believe the good life lies. Is it in Jesus or is it in something else? And the good news of Jesus is this, that we do not live for his love, we live from it. We do not live to earn from him. We learn because he's already given us what we most desire. We don't have to perform, we don't have to strive. Although we might not be famous in this world, although we might not have the acceptance and approval of billions of people on YouTube or whatever it might be, the promise of the good news in the gospel is that through his life and death, we can belong to God. We can be approved of by God. We can be accepted by God. We can live in the love of God for the rest of our life. And that we can take off the masks and we can stop hiding and we can stop pretending and we can stop performing and we can be who he's made us to be. Trevor Wax says, in Christ, we are already fully known and fully loved by God. In Christ, we have the affirmation that matters most. Therefore, we don't have to live for likes, but can live from love. Let me end with this quote. Os Guinness, in response to this, says, Will you live before the audience of one can say to the world, I have only one audience. Before you, I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. We're going to go into a time of communion in a moment, and then we're going to sing some more worship songs with our amazing band from Restored South Bay. But before we get into communion, I'd love it if you could just close your eyes and just reflect with me for a second. Just think through what we've spoken about today and just think, what is standing up to me? What has God wanted me to hear? How do I need to respond? What are the motives going on inside me? And those two questions I've brought throughout this message again and again, why do we do what we do? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And then secondly, who or what am I living for? Not, not who or what do I say I'm living for, but really the core of my being at the innermost place, who or what am I living for? And Jesus, right now, as I know for myself and as I've shared this morning, I have such mixed motives and there is definitely inconsistency in my public and private and secret self. And I ask you, Lord, to change my heart that more and more I would live only for you. I pray the same for all of us, Lord. That we'd be able to take off the masks, that we'd be able to stop pretending, we'd be able to stop performing, that we would know your love and we would be settled in your love. 
that you would take earning off of us today and striving off of us, that the pressure to perform would go and that there would just be such a peace and security in you. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to expose things that maybe we need exposed in our hearts and minds now, in our motives right now. Expose them and bring them to the surface. And more than that, Lord, we pray for change and health. Set us free. Set us free to be who you've made us to be. Set us free to be ourselves. Set us free to be the same no matter which audience we're around. And I pray more and more, Lord, you would just anchor in our hearts the knowledge of your love, the knowledge of your acceptance, the knowledge of your approval, the knowledge that we belong to you. So we come to the table today to have the bread and the wine. There's no performance needed. This is a moment to remember. To remember what Jesus has done, not what we must do. To remember that he's made a way for us to know the Father through him. To remember that in him our sins are forgiven or can be forgiven. To remember that in him we are a new creation, not defined by our past or anything else, but defined by him. So if there is anything you want to bring to God this morning in prayer before, this is a great opportunity to do it. To ask him to remind you of these things to help you to anchor yourself in them, to live from them, and then to come forward and celebrate what Jesus has done for you. But we're going to come forward and take of the cup and take of the bread and break into circles around this room and remember Jesus, his life and his death on our behalf.